Welcome to How Did I Get Here, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the careers of working professionals to learn about their journey so far, career joys and struggles, and advice for people considering the same path as them. My name is Erica Lipton, and this season we are talking to Protestant pastors and asking them the question, how did they get here? So my name is David Brown. Um, I am uh, the lead pastor and deacon at Wharton Wesley United Methodist Church in West Philadelphia. Um, I'm also the diversity advisor to the office of the dean at Klein College of Media and Communications here at Temple University. So I have those two. By, and those are my primary and secondary appointments in the, in the United Methodist Church. So are those two separate appointments? They are. So uh, and as a deacon, you have a primary appointment and a secondary appointment. Both, however, are kind of what we call covenanted positions in that um, I couldn't take a position like working in a casino, which would be against some of our social principles, for example. So being a professor and an advisor in diversity, equity, inclusion at Temple University is very consistent with our social principles in the United Methodist Church, which enables me to have this dual covenant. Because And the reason why we have it as a covenant is because there's some degree of accountability with who you are as a person of the clergy and the institutions that you're representing. And how long have you been in both of those positions? Wow. So as a deacon, uh, we get to uh, select our appointments or select places that will eventually be approved, hopefully, by the conference. So it changes. Um, so I'm currently I'm in my seventh year at Warden Wesley, uh, and I've only been the lead pastor for the last year and a half, uh, but I've always been the deacon. Uh, and this position at Temple, I've been in, well, since well 2015, I started teaching here and became the diversity advisor in 2018. So each year that I have our annual conference, I know this is all kind of inside baseball on Methodism, but uh, each time I have a, my uh, annual conference, I either get to reaffirm or change my appointment or, ch- or, or request to have my appointment changed. So I've been in a lot of different places before I came here. I uh, owned an advertising and public relations agency, uh, and I've also been the general manager of a radio station. I've also been, uh, but all of those things have been part of my appointment, uh, but I've always been in ministry. So kind of a more fun question. When you were like a little, little kid, what did you want to (laughs) be? When I was a little kid, I really wanted to be an investigative reporter. Really? Yeah, because I, I, I always thought that that was like, you know, a noble thing to do, and I always kind of dug the fact that um, uh, the power of the, the printed word at the time, to, that, can, that can influence different people, and then... It's funny that you say the power of the printed word. Yeah, yeah. Bible. Wow, yeah, I never thought about that, because I, 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 I grew up in the church, but I never thought about being a, a pastor, necessarily, <laughs> and... Um, I had an incident when I was a younger person uh, that uh, really kind of formed my life. I was uh, I survived a drive-by shooting, uh, and uh, it, the, 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 the survival was the gun never fired, but it scared me off the street, and I didn't know how to deal with my life being taken that early in my li- in life. So I wound up writing about it as my kind of therapy. And then I realized I had a gift for writing which led me to write more and 
became part of the high school newspaper, and then I went to college and became the news editor of the college newspaper, and that's how, you know, so I, that trajectory was kind of informed by that moment where God saved me to, from what I wasn't sure what I was being saved from, but that's where it came from. So from the earliest time that I can remember, yeah, that, that to me would be a cool position. I just didn't realize that it would take me the, the path that it take, took me to get here. Yeah. So when was the transition? So if you were kind of going down that trajectory, yeah. when did it kind of like, when was like the first inkling of thought that you were like, maybe I'll be a pastor? Uh, by accident, really. I was um, um, I was asked to uh, do a sermon, and by a pastor that I really, a senior pastor, I really respected. Uh, but I was in advertising, so I did it my sermon as a presentation, uh, which was and afterward he was he's like, wow, that, that was really good. You know that uh, uh, people seem to respond well to it. But what he said after that kind of triggered some things. And he said, but you, you can make a, you, you can do well in this profession. You can do weddings. You can do, and, and it just seemed more transactional. And that was kind of like that. That was, if that's what they're teaching people uh, in seminary, I need to find out about this. So my investigative journalism uh, curiosity led me to go to a seminary, which happened to be on my way home from where I was living in West Philadelphia. Happened to be at the time Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which became Palmer. And I went there really to kind of. Uh, uncover what they were doing and I guess that was God's way knowing that I was curious that that led me into more and more deeper study um, that led to me pursuing my, my degree in theology but it didn't affirm me in terms of being a pastor I had no idea as a matter of fact I do recall you know after you know really walking across the stage to pick up my, my diploma uh, they say that um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this and that to me was really kind of part of my own journey of kind of recognizing that sometimes the path is not as clear as you think it could be should be or whatever because the path at least at the time still hadn't been blazed yet um, so I was uncharted territory but I knew what I didn't want I knew that I didn't want to be a church pastor because I felt that that was going to be too restrictive. I thought that that was going to be not really my gift. Um, and so the order of the deacon uh, is a, an order on the equivalent of, as an elder in the United Methodist Church that when I was walking across the stage was in its infancy as just being an established order. So by the time I realized what a deacon was and what it could do, I was like, oh, that's, that's me. I, I, I loved advertising, loved public relations, loved what I was doing. Um, and I remember, as a matter of fact, being in seminary when someone told me that they could pay for my seminary, my, my degree, full ride. All I would have to do was to move on to campus and you know, be like a full-time student. And at the time, I, had, I was married, had two, two children. All I could see was that you know, they would really resent not resent ministry if I would have up their life to do this. And that's what started to make me think there's got to be a, a better way. And so I didn't want to devalue the work that I was doing in the industry while at the same time trying to affirm what I was trying to do as a, as, in, in, as a clergy. So that's, you know, so it was a gradual um, aha or epiphany. Uh, that really started to say, oh, because again, it's like when you walk out on faith, you're hoping that the next step is a firm one, but it may not be, because even in, in, even in Stunley we learn. Mm -hmm. 
which 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 path we should take. Yeah. So you already had like a family by the time I you started. Did, so yeah. What was that like? What did they think? <laughs> like, was your wife like, "Stop lying, you're gonna be right. a pastor"? Yeah, right, right, like, right. Yeah, oh, that's that's a great question. So, uh, well, yeah, there was a couple of things, right? Because when I was when I was thinking about seminary, I was working in a big ad agency. Everybody, all of my peers were like going after their MBA, and I was like, well, I'm, I want to go to seminary, and they were like, what, what, what are you, what are you crazy, I mean, what are you going to, are you going to leave the business, are you going to do this, I was like, no, I, I just don't think that doing an MBA is, speaks to me, but this theological thing, and my, my wife was like, oh, okay, because uh, we weren't sure where it was going to go, you know, you, Education is always valuable, so getting a master's degree couldn't hurt. Uh, my my two daughters, who are grown now, were too young to really say, oh, "Let's not do that." But that example I gave you about someone saying, "Hey, you move into the seminary." As a matter of fact, I do remember them saying they were questioning my commitment to the call mm-hmm. because if you're really committed to this, it's like, well, you know, I thought then that you know, well, I feel called, but my family's not necessarily called. They can support and so forth, but. I don't want them to resent this call that I have, so I got to figure out how to make it work. So, what was a two-year degree became a six-year journey for me because, as a father and a husband and mortgage and everything else, had to make it work. And still, at the end of that six years, not knowing what are you going to do with this, mm-hmm. and I paid for my degree out of pocket. You know, so you know, so for for me, it was more of a a more affirmation on the journey as opposed to why did I just do that you know and and I think that even to this day my wife and my children are very supportive of me in ministry but I also knew that uh, I had to provide for them financially so that kind of bivocational approach to ministry uh, and I don't like so like using that word bivocational because it to some people, seems like a separation, whereas I see it as a convergence. I mean, this is as much of a ministry here at Temple as, you know, being in the church, you know, and sometimes more so. We've helped people to get through some of the toughest days of their lives in the work that I've done in either place. So, you know, the parish is where you find it, you know, and the field of mission is where you find it. So that, to me, has informed my journey throughout my, throughout my work. So take me from the moment you graduated, you walked across the stage, mm-hmm. you weren't sure what you wanted to do, to becoming a deacon. Yeah. What did that, how did you learn about it, how did you make that decision? Yeah, yeah, so that journey, uh, man, so, because it's, it's, it's interesting to me because it really started to question my call. So I went through, got my degree, uh, looked at the order of the deacon, and um, in the United Methodist Church, uh, you have to go before the Board of Ordained Ministry uh, as part of really kind of defending your theology. Why are you doing what you're doing? And if you're going to be a deacon, where where are you going to be working and so forth? And the first time that I was going to go, and it's it's it's, it's like defending your your theology, really, your, your, who you are spiritually and so forth. And I was ready to go. And as I was walking into the room, the examination room to, to, to do this, and I'm mentally prepared to do that, uh, I was physically stopped from going into the room. Um, and the person literally put it, their hand on my, my chest and said, you're not going in there because you're not ready. And um, I think I mentioned to you before, I'm from West Philadelphia, born and raised in West Philadelphia. 
Uh, we're tough in West Philly. You don't put your hands on us. You don't, you know. So I was, I literally was like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, and and it turned out that uh, someone had missed something. Even though I had graduated and got my degree, there were two courses in seminary that I did not take that would not allow me to go forward. Um, so I made a decision then that actually, after a lot of, and I'll just be very honest, a lot of cussing and screaming like you know what not in the church I didn't do this but uh, in, in my car and I was talking to my wife about it at the time she's like well so what are you going to do I mean how much does this mean to you I mean are you really called this is a is it, do you see this as a setback do you see this as a affirmation that this is not the way to go um, and I had to go back to seminary take these two courses um, and it did so begrudgingly, but it was an incredible blessing because not only was I more prepared, but it led me into some of the work I, that I've done in terms of looking at the history of African Americans in the United Methodist. That was my, one of my, th my theses. Um, and I eventually got a book published a a around that. I would have never even looked at it had I not had to go back. So that, to me, helped to refine th this whole process. So by the next time I went in, which was a year or two a year later, um, I was not only ready, I was even more determined, not because I was denied, but because I thought I could do something that would be worthwhile and edify God in the process. Um, what I didn't know that what I was trying to do had never been done before at an Eastern Pennsylvania conference. Uh, who know, right? So just plowing forward, and when I got through the process, that's when I started to think, okay, now, now that you're through the process, now what are you going to do? And as a deacon who, as I described it, is the deacon is really geared to the dispersed congregation, people who may never set foot in a sanctuary, as opposed to the gathered congregation, which are elders, that's their responsibility. So that enabled me to really kind of do more exploratory things. That's how I wound up at Arch Street. That's how I, my first appointment was at my home church, Camp for Memorial in West Philadelphia. Um, I think it also equipped me to become a lead pastor at Woodward and Western because I have built organizations outside of the church so I know how organizations run, you know, how to get those things. So all those things prepared me for, I mean, wherever I am now, and you can never tell where you are and how prepared you are until you get there, mm -hmm. right? So for me, that path that was rather circuitous was exactly where God needed me to be. Mm -hmm. So something that's interesting that you talk about is a lot of combination between what you do uh, at, here at Temple and in the church, you know, and you've talked a lot about how those efforts have helped each other. And I think a lot of people pursuing seminary are doing a second career, right, that's for a lot true. of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so have you ever been in an instance where you feel like it's actually hurt you, like, like made it harder for me to or do you feel like there's a point where they don't mix? Mm, that's a, wow, that's a great question, Erica. Um, I think that because um, private sector, uh, and even before I got here at Temple, just operates on a much different different set of rules, different set pace, everything, and the church, you know, writ large, not just the church where I am, is different. You know, um, you're working more with volunteers, you're more working with folks who, um, it's, it's a much more, uh, I think, at times more ethical setting, whereas the rules of the street are different, you know, and the rules of the, uh, of the corporate boardroom are just different. I think that, um, to your point about second career, 
you know, Jesus was a second career person. You know, starting as a, as a carpenter. I mean, son of God, I get it, I know, but you know, you know, his profession he was a carpenter, and even the way that you know when you read the Bible, how he was able to relate to uh, the men who were fishers, uh, fishermen, uh, uh, way he was able to relate to a lot. All of that is part of the toolkit that God's going to give you to do and fulfill His purpose. You don't know necessarily that you are needing this hammer and, and why you know how to wield the hammer, but that's okay. It's not never is wasted time, right? So I, I never have seen it to be. It, it, I, 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 you know, again, all fairness, it has been frustrating at times when you're working in you know those different settings. Um, I would say though that um, the fact that I am a, 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 a ordained reverend working in secular places that. Um, if they thought that that was a surprise, that somehow I was this, you know, cad, unprincipled person, in which was which there are so many more people. Well, it could be argued that they're in both you know, faith settings as well as private settings. But I'm hoping that I, you know, carry myself in such a way that it's not a surprise, and, and it's not an accident that my you know my email address starts with Rev. You know, so it's like. I get people even to this day uh, here at Temple or in other places who just want to sit down and have a, 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 a thought session. And I don't necessarily wear it on my sleeve because it's not appropriate for me to do so in places where you have different different folks and you want to be non-denominational and such. But by the same token, I can't hide that I'm a person of faith wherever I am. So I've never seen it, I have never seen it to be a, an obstacle. I've seen it to be an opportunity more so than not. I like that. <laughs> um, so one more question about seminary before yeah. we kind of move on. Yeah. Do you have any like verse or like Bible story or piece of advice that you like came across in seminary that like really hit you or really helped you get through uh, that experience? Wow, not necessarily a, a verse, but a, a, a definite experience that really kind of in seminary that, that transformed me. I was in a class, I can't remember which one it was, but I was sitting, it was one of those evening classes that I know that you folks in seminary, we know it's like, you just gotta, you just gotta get through this thing, stay away to get through. Drinking your coffee. <laughs> Drinking your coffee, eating your M&Ms one at a time, like okay, every three minutes, eating an M&M. Um, and I was sitting next to a young man, uh, his name was Anthony Alcantara, I'll never forget it. Uh, and he was at, you know, he's having a conversation, we had a break. And uh, he's like, so, so you know, what do you do? It's like, well, you know, I actually work in an advertising agency, you know, you know, taking the, this course of study and really trying to kind of, and he's like, well, and a logical question is, what are you going to do? It's like, I, I'm not sure. I'm, just, I'm not sure. And I asked him, it's like, so what's, you know, what's your story? Well, it turns out that Anthony had uh, already received his uh, Master's in Divinity. Uh, he was working on his Master's of Theological Study, which was the degree that I was pursuing but focusing on economic development because his plan was to take his degree back to the Philippines, his home country, and help to really uh, represent underrepresented folks, people working on economic development, thing really changing his country, quite honestly. Um, and I was like, wow. Uh, one, never thought that that you could do something like that, um, but it really kind of, his conviction convicted me, you know, saying like, okay, so this is why you're here. I need to define my purpose. I need to define what will you do with this and not just what will you do with this degree. 
this career that you've built in advertising and public relations, this work you're doing as an entrepreneur, all those different things, what are you trying to do with that? And even though you don't know from a position perspective as to what it might be, you definitely will know what you're doing from a mission perspective. So that, to me, so really wasn't one single verse or nothing, you know, but that encounter in that class on that evening, mm -hmm. and I think it might have been like class number seven of you know, a 15 thing or whatever, it's like I w there would have been no way for me to have scheduled that. Mm -hmm. It had to happen in the kind of spontaneity of the Holy Spirit that that conversation needed to happen. Never forget it. And it, it informed my path ever since. So more so like the conviction of the people with you. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I, I know I've been mentioning this, so when I was doing this, I wrote this short story because I'm a writer called A Spy in the Seminary, which really was kind of looking at that because that's what I, I was going into the seminary. Is that kind of what you felt like? Absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I thought about it. Look, I mean, I, you know, I, I, wa I was walking in there after spending a whole day doing stuff like writing jingles and writing press releases and stuff like that. I would come in in, a, in my, you know, custom tailored suit, right, you know, and walking around my other co colleagues uh, who were, you know, walking around in, you know, sandals and, you know, taking, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was just like bizarre. I just love like the Jesus people sandals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Right. Jesus people sandals. Right, 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 wait, it's yeah. winter time, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and, but, it, but it really kind of, it, 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 to me, was that I really went into it to find out what are you people learning? Because if if I'm understanding this as a profession as opposed to a calling, then I got the wrong perspective. And that type of encounter with my colleagues, you know, really started to be something, these people are called, are you called? Mm. You know, or are you just curious? Because if you're curious, it ain't gonna last. But if you're called, it becomes a lifetime commitment. That was it was it was almost that complicated and that simple. Yeah. You know, so, but, but I still had to say, well, I got to finish this. Now, really, really never was that. It's like, well, it's going to take the time it's going to take, and I'm going to value the journey. If it takes six years, and great, what's on the other end? I have no idea, but it's again part of the journey. Nothing wrong with that. And that's, I think, a lot of times, particularly when we're in seminary or in those type of programs that have a terminal degree, we're so focused on getting to the end that we forget about what's happening on our way to that, whatever the end is, mm -hmm. or what we think might be the end. The end really is the beginning. Mm -hmm. Boy, that sounds like, kind of like a Yoda thing, but that's that's <laughs> really kind of like what you get to. Like, I, I don't know, and we, I think we have to start to find ways to be comfortable in that uncertainty. Because if we are so certain, then God can't always do stuff with it, and that's not on that like, degree of flexibility. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you feel like now that you've gone through all that and you are a lead pastor, mm -hmm. do you kind of feel like you're like, okay, I figured it out. This is my call, or do you mm -hmm. still kind of mm -hmm. feel like you're like? trying to get there. No, I feel I feel like I'm, I'm still trying to get there. Um, I, I, I think that, as a matter of fact, I had a lot and still do have a lot of hesitation uh, for being the lead pastor. I, I had a sabbatical before that to really pray on it to see whether or not that's what God was calling me to do. And I will tell you very honestly that uh, I, I don't see myself remaining the lead pastor. I, I, I now know a lot reason why I didn't want to become the lead pastor. Um, because that's not really my calling. Um, but I think that um, if we have a growth mindset that we don't figure out, well, this, because it could be very easy for me to be very comfortable. It's like, oh, I'm the lead pastor. I got, got the office. I got it. 
that to me is like, well, I'm a lead pastor for a season. I don't see me being a lead pastor for a lifetime because I'm still, my calling still is out there beyond the sanctuary, beyond the confines of the church. And that's where, that's, that's where I'm called. So that's always going to be who I am. Mm. So in your position as lead pastor at the moment, mm. what would you say is... I like a lead pastor at the moment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say is like your favorite part, like the best thing, and what would you say is kind of something you struggle with? Oh boy, okay, so I, um, one thing that I love about, uh, I've always loved about the ministry is I, I, I like preaching. Um, one of those deacons that, unfortunately a lot of deacons don't preach they don't do it well, but I, I I like it. People seem to respond well, so that's that's great. Uh, but as I, I I I like making a difference, making the impact. I I love being able to. Uh, that's always who I've been. Building something that may not have been there before that's going to make an impact in somebody else's life. That to me, I I really dig that. Uh, and and the meaningful work that pastors do. Uh, that's you know, and and that could be as simple as having a conversation or being able to listen to somebody. What I don't like uh, is I detest the paperwork. I detest the um, uh, I, I discuss the, the pettiness of, of pastoring. I really do it, it, because I, I understand because we're working with human beings, and sometimes you know, and, and this is even where we are. And so we have this conversation in the dean's office at at at, uh, at, at Temple, and. It's so amazing how people describe importance to black place. Oh, you're in the dean's office. I mean, I, I know that I mean, he's down the hall. But that, to me, is like if, if this was, you know, it's not a big office, but if this was the pinnacle of what I'm reaching for, I'm reaching for the wrong things. Mm -hmm. I'm here because I can make a difference in the work that we do. That's mm -hmm. it. You know, I can do that. On, I can do that on a street corner, right? So I think that sometimes we get caught up in the physical attributes of leadership. Whether it's, you know, I'm in this big church or I've got the big parking spot, you know, give me a break. What's really important in terms of being able to, to, to really make a difference in people's lives? So at one point, I, someone had asked me to do a uh, six-word mission statement. I think it's a very great exercise for anybody to do. you got to use six words. So my six words are making impact by being the difference. Six. Making impact by being the difference. So that does not necessarily have any degree of permanence. The only permanence is that you continue to make a difference. And the difference that you're trying to make is the difference that God will, 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 will affirm. So it's not about you, it's about God. So you can do that in any kind of way, as opposed to, I can only make a difference if I'm the lead pastor, or if I'm uh, the diversity dean. Mm -hmm. That's not how God works, that's not how the world works. So permanence of mission is important, permanence of position is not. Oh, that's not bad. I, I like that. that yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's on recording. <laughs> um, I, I had questions. Oh, you meant, so you, at the start of that sentence, mm. you mentioned that you struggle with, like, petty people. Yeah, or pettiness. In pettiness, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, pettiness. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, I was yeah. saying. So how, like, there's plenty of churches that deal with, like, church politics yeah. and people who struggle with that. So how, like, as a Christian, do you confront that in mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. church or in your Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I, 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 the way I confront it, actually, I call, I call, <laughs> I call BS when I see it. Is what I'm going to say, uh, because I think that um, uh, that's not always popular. I, I tend, I mean, because of who I am, you know, I tend to be diplomatic. 
uh, to the building bridges with people. However, when it gets down to, you know, being petty, like, oh, I want to be first, or I want, you know, red colors as opposed to blue colors, like, you're really missing the point. And I think that they have an obligation, particularly as a person of faith, and particularly as a person who was in leadership in faith, is to call stuff out when you see it and fight against it. And, that, that, and that's not always going to be popular. So, um, and uh, I de never got into this so I could be popular, you know what I mean? Because that, again, that's more about me, not about God. But I, and I see that not just in church policy, but I see that in uh, retail politics and sort of government, uh, corporate, I mean, it's all over. But again, if you are the person that's going to be the catalyst or the, or the voice that needs to be heard, that you don't have to wear a collar or be the reverend, I mean, call it out. And that's the only, at least to me, because if I don't call it out, then I'm affirming it. Mm -hmm. Or I'm allowing it. My silence can sometimes condone it, and that's not that's never going to be right. Mm -hmm. Do you ever like feel like in the church though? Because obviously you do work in a lot of mission mm -hmm. fields that aren't the church. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like sometimes, like in your pastoral position, that you're just like, like this isn't the most efficient way to do this? You know? Like, <laughs> do you ever have you ever felt that way? And what has kind of changed your mind to say no? This is what we were being called to to mm -hmm. serve people as pastors. Wow, that's a great question. Um, I have, I, even now, feel like, uh, I, I think that the model of church is obsolete. It's, 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 it, I think that the pandemic and the racial reckoning has helped to really expose the inefficiency and ineffectiveness of traditional church. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, and because of that, um, I think that we are, as, as a people, as people in general, are here uh, now to kind of live into that new reality or make that new reality happen. Um, so, I, and I honestly don't think, I think it's been uh, outdated and obsolete for some time, but this has accelerated and amplified those deficiencies. So we now, at least from my perspective, I'll speak personally, have an obligation to kind of live into what that new reality and help to shape that new reality. So the fact that we have all been forced out of our churches, to me, affirms that we shouldn't have been locked up in our churches anyway, but we have been more clubhouse in terms of our ministry as opposed to more community and being able to, to, to have that relevance where we were planted. So for me, um, while I really re regret and lament and grieve over the people that, that I've lost personally and people that we've lost as, as a whole, I'm also at least uh, hopeful of what will emerge after as we continue to, to journey together. Um, so I, I, I really do think that um, that was, uh, we are not here by accident. We're here with intention. Uh, and I think that if we uh, truly yield to the fact that we don't know the plans of God, then we are along, all of us are along for the ride. All of us are along for the journey. And in what we do during that journey is help to, to, to better define what our destination is going to be. Um, so if you, I mean, you are talking to a seminarian, but yeah. if you're talking to a seminarian or someone um, thinking about being a pastor at mm. some point in their life. Yeah. Like, what would you say to them? What would your advice be? What would you, yeah, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, well, I, I'd ask them a, a, a one-word question. Why? Why do you want to be a seminary? Why do you want to be a pastor? Um, I mean, because I 
now with the benefit of, of hindsight, I can tell you if it's about the money, it, it's never going to be enough. If it's about the prestige or the power or the influence of the position, you're always going to be questioned, um, which to me helps me to help other people, particularly who are on the journey, to really start to affirm their own walk. You know, it's, it's not to be like, okay, well, this is the journey. I, I didn't, I would talk to a lot of people, have mentored and have been mentored by a lot of folks, but everybody's on their own pathway. You know, so, and, and knowing as in seminary how challenging the work is academically, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally, you know, you can say, why are you doing this? I mean, and, and my wife asked me that question when I got turned away and said, you got to go back to seminary. I'm like, what? No, I'm not going back to seminary. I, for what? I'm not, you know, they, they don't know me. I'm ready right now. Why are you doing this? And that was like, well, if you're doing this because you want to serve a higher purpose, then you're going to go through whatever you got to go through to get there, right? That means taking these two more two classes. I mean, the number wasn't as significant as the, the act of having to go back. But you don't ever know what's going to come out of that, you know. So stop questioning why you're doing it and, and do it because you're doing it for the right reasons. And and I would say that, you know, I, I can't. I can't say that even during that time I had the clarity that I have now. I mean, I'm you know, 60 next year, you know, so it's like I've been doing ministry now for over 20 years uh, and probably longer before before the degree and before the, the journey and everything else, right? But I didn't know that's what it was. Um, so that's very much a part of me and will always probably, not all, probably, will always be a part of who I am. Um, so you got to get a good answer to yourself as to why you're doing this. That to me will start to continuously reaffirm or challenge and refine what is it you're doing. So you're taking a dual degree, an MDiv and MBA. And you don't have to answer the question why, but you've asked your question. You've asked yourself that before. And even if you don't know what you're going to do with it yet, again, that's part of the journey. So you will be all constantly asking yourself that question. And if the answer sometimes comes back not as clear, that's okay too, because it gets clearer over time. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you grew up in the church. Did you grow up in the Methodist church? I did, yeah. So how is that kind of why you chose Methodism, wow. or did you just... That's a great question. Yeah. It's all I knew, very mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, I well, you did go to a Baptist seminary. I did go to a Baptist seminary, and you know, again, because it was convenient. It's the only seminary I knew. It's almost one reason why I got into um, journalism. This is all so, so serendipitous, but you know, I used to be going to all these college career fair or college fairs and everything else, and got so you know bored with it. My dad and I said, "We're, we're going to start visiting the booths of uh, schools that have funny names." Uh, so um, Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U. D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E, Duquesne University. And I had never heard of Duquesne University, didn't know what it was like. And it just so happened I had an older brother who went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. We were visiting him, then we took a ride over to Pittsburgh, and it was a beautiful city. And Duquesne is in Pittsburgh. So I was like, I wanted to be near a city, but further enough away from home so I could have my own life. And I didn't know that Duquesne was a journalism school because that's very well known for journalism, and I was studying journalism. So that kind of degree, what I would call then serendipity, was intention that God had, right? Mm -hmm. That 
Why, why go to a Baptist seminary? Because it was on the way home. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only one I knew. I didn't know. And, and so kind of to your point, I think sometimes it's asking the wrong question. Why do you want to be a pastor? Because that defines what it is. It, because I don't, cons- I, I guess I'm a pastor. I get that. Um, but I don't see myself as, just like you said, in advertising. Um, I'm a communications executive or I'm an educator. This is a little vague. A, a pastor we have a certain mindset of what a pastor is and what they do. I don't do all of that, and I don't think I ever will, but it's still a pastor, right? So it's like, what, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because even as a deacon, I have this shirt that said, called, called by God, defined by service. So we are called, right? And the service that we do defines who we are in terms of our, but that's kind of hard as a job description. Like, okay, well, because it's easier for people to understand and package what a pastor is. Mm-hmm. They, that's what their that's what their understanding is. That's mm-hmm. the context. That doesn't mean it hasn't defined who you are or defined your journey. So to have an MBA and an MDiv, who knows what you can do with that? You know, and well, God does. But I found too, and this is just very personal. After a point, I had to stop trying to fit my journey into other people's view or mm-hmm. other people's expectations. I remember, remember, as a matter of fact, as an African-American male, the only way to pastor is to get a church because that's what, what everybody would think. And it's like, I want a church. I like to preach, but I don't think I mean, there's more to there's more to that. And that's what motivated me, particularly in West Philadelphia, there's a church and a liquor store on every corner. That's true. Yeah, it is true, right? It's so true. it's like so so, and, and guess what? It's probably more liquor stores than churches now. So my thing is like, well, if you know that, and maybe that's only what, what only your eyes were viewed, you know, from that. Maybe that's only the, the, the glimpse that God would give to you. So what do you want to do about that? So that's not well. I'll become a pastor, nah, man, because you if you're going to try to do something about it, you got to be able to work in both the, the bar. And at the chancel rail, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, so, and you can't be like, oh, those bad people. No, nah, mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work like that. And somebody might have a different view of that by saying, well, you got to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what if I don't want to be a pastor? Well, what else are you going to be? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I feel I'm called by God mm-hmm. and I want to be defined by service. So let me just continue to serve and fulfill my calling. God doesn't, God doesn't care about the title. Yeah. You know, I, I'm honored to be Reverend David W. Brown. It's cool, but that can also be a barrier. You know, people don't want to. I don't wear a collar much, if, if rarely, even when I'm preaching, because again, it's, it's the barrier. So I'd rather be following the journey and the path as opposed to trying to find the position, because that's yeah. comfortable for everybody else, man. They have to be comfortable for you. Yeah. So you're saying that like. You just tried to serve in the way that God called you, and you ended up being called a pastor. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 if I had to be ordained to do that, then okay. If I had to get my degree to do that, then okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all a means to an end because if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't be able to fulfill mm-hmm. what I would consider to be my call and then continue to serve. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's means to an end, not the end itself. Because if the end itself is like, well, I don't even have a degree on the wall. But if it's, that's what it is, or you know, you wearing the collar or whatever it is, like if that's your why, it's not right. going to work. It's not, not going to sustain you. Mm-hmm. It, it, very honestly, there are a lot of people that would never admit that that was their why. They love the life of pastoring, mm-hmm. 
uh, or being able to have you know these precious souls in your hands. That to me, from my perspective, is wrong motivation. What that happens when that goes away? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I think as a father, um, I, I tend to be very protective. I think even even the conversation you and I have had about you know I, I get into father mode right away, and sometimes that that helps people to uh, be vulnerable, to be honest, to be you know, or just need somebody to listen to them. That to me is as much as pastoring as anything else, mm. you know. But if if I Started tripping over that, like, oh, that's this, that's it, that's the drug, that's, dude, that's, mm -mm, that's not what God's asking me to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? So it, it gets, it's bigger. It's got to be bigger than that. Does it ever? So for me personally, mm -hmm. when I think about that, or like when I was a youth pastor, for example, yeah, yeah. something that really stressed me out was I felt like so responsible mm -hmm. for the youth that were in, sure. you know, sure. my you're, uh, you're, shepherding you're or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I and I can only imagine that like pressure as a pastor mm -hmm. is so much more extreme. Mm -hmm. Can you mm -hmm. speak to that? Is that something you feel? How yeah. do you process that? Yeah, it, it, it is, and, and it's probably one of the reasons why I don't necessarily see myself as the lead pastor. I mean, because it it to your point, I mean, you are responsible for this flock. You're responsible for their spiritual lives, and you know you're taking people through sometimes the toughest moments that they will ever encounter or ever have. It's a lot of pressure. And not that I d wouldn't do that, because I do that in any role. You know, I don't have to be lead pastor to do that. And it, it's it's not something that I enjoy. Enjoy is not the right, not the right verb. I, I think it's something that I, I, I'm capable and competent to do. I do get fulfillment out of helping people find their own way. But some people uh, get intoxicated by that that, that drug of power, you know, mm -hmm. like I mean, I, I see that even in my role here as a professor. I'm talking and helping to, to guide people, young people, who are probably at one of the most important moments of their lives, you know, between 18 and 22, where they're trying to figure out who they are. That's, so that to me is like such an awesome responsibility. So my job is to help them find their own ideology, their own personality, mm -hmm. not be me, not to be, that, and that's it. So part of that is that. You know, it, it, if you think about it, that's heavy, man. You know, that's like, so, so like you said, as a youth pastor, you may, and you probably have already, helped people figure out how far into their faith. Uh, people who have been hurt by a church, have been hurt by church members, you know. So how do you do that? That that, And that's why not everybody does it, because if it was easy, a lot of people would do it, and, and it ain't easy. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that, honestly, being able to connect with people such as you, you connected with me and me connecting with you, there are things that we can help each other through, you know? So, and that's, to me, is the value of pastoring as a community, mm -hmm. right? So it's not it's not a solitary thing. It's not, you know, caught up in all the other things that make the embellishment that makes up in pastoring because it's sometimes it's lonely, it's, it's tough, and you, you, you don't walk away from people when they lay this stuff on you. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. that was 3 o'clock. No, that stuff's still weighing on me. Mm -hmm. So that's... As they say, the business we've chosen. This is the profession that we've chosen. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and hope to see you next time on the How Did I Get Here podcast. <laughs>